0: Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. I'm Eddie Joe. Today is the 30th of January of 2021, and I'm going to be taking things a little bit different here and talking about using colchicine to take care of patients who have COVID-19 in the outpatient setting. As a couple of disclaimers, first of all, I'm a critical care doctor, and I do not do outpatient medicine in my practice. So I can't make any recommendations, especially since this is a pre-published study. In other words, it has not been actually published. It has not been peer reviewed, excuse me. So you could download this this particular article on my website. The link is in the description box below and read the article for yourself because I always tell you the same thing. Don't trust me. The title of this article, which was put online on the 27th just a couple days ago, is titled, Efficacy of Colchicine in Non-Hospitalized Patients with COVID-19. And I really have to tip my hat to the authors in Canada who did a great job of organizing a very large outpatient trial with a total of 4,488 patients enrolled. I know that there are a lot of people out there in medicine who just read the abstracts for articles and think that that's it, that's all they need to know, and that helps them determine whether a therapy works or doesn't, or it doesn't work, excuse me. But I'm going to give you a kind of a different way to think about these articles and a way to use the statistical analysis in a way to help us understand how much it helps. Because the conclusion of the study, and I'm going to quote this, reads, among non-hospitalized patients with COVID-19, colchicine reduces the composite rate of death or hospitalization. But to be honest with you, that that conclusion, even though it does show that it is helpful, the colchicine in, in these patients that they enrolled, it's not as clear-cut as one would hope because, again, I'm, I'm hoping for this medication to work because it's cheap, readily available, and it's relatively safe, even though about 25% of the people has some sort of adverse effect from it. But I digress. Let's talk a little bit now about colchicine and about COVID. Colchicine is a medication that has been around Pretty much the career of the majority of us who are listening to this podcast right now, and it's an anti-inflammatory drug. We all know about its uses for gout. It's also used for pericarditis and other pathologies. Again, it's been it's been around forever. Um, check Grandpa's medicine cabinet. There's probably there's probably some colchicine in there. And we know that COVID, when people actually get it, some people progress into this uh, cytokine storm type of phase. And again, I. I Say cytokine storm because a lot of people have had issues with that terminology. But at this point, we all we all agree that we know what it is. And this is when the people become they have they have this hyperinflammation behind them, and they also become hypercoagulable. And therefore, the thought process here is that the colchicine will help them with the inflammatory phase, and hopefully keep them out of the hospital. I'm a big fan of any study that's looking at COVID patients in the outpatient setting because those of us who work in ICU and in the hospital know that. Once people reach a certain threshold, chances of them recovering and getting better, those chances just become extremely low. And that's where, where it's extremely frustrating, where it feels like those of us who are in the intensive care unit just don't see people getting better. And so if there's a cheap, readily available, safe drug that could help keep people out of the intensive care unit and out of the hospital, that'll make our lives better. I mean, there are always going to be people in the comments section who say, oh, yeah, you're just trying to make money off of this. Well, just hear me out. I want this treatment to keep people out of the hospital. I want to make less money. I don't want to take care of any more COVID patients. I want this to go away. So I'm optimistic whenever I read a study like this, that gets a whole lot of press. But at the same time, I'm here to try to be realistic about what the findings actually are of this study. So what type of study is this? This is this is one of these studies that we all love. They're the randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial. And what they did is that they gave patients colchicine either... Well, not either, but they gave them half a milligram, which is the dose that they have in Canada. Here in the United States, I think the the dosage is 0.6 milligrams, but they use 0.5 milligrams by mouth twice daily for the first three days, and then once daily for 27 days. The other half of the group got placebo, so possibly like a sugar pill or something like that. How did they determine who was eligible? Well, patients had to be at least 40 years of age. And this is important because if we're, trying to, if we're trying to keep people out of the hospital, we know that people who are under 40, unless they have some serious comorbidities, chances are people under 40 do not end up in the hospital. So they wanted people who are at least 40 years of age. And before enrollment, they had to have received either the diagnosis of COVID-19 through the PCR testing, or they had to live in close quarters with somebody who had COVID-19 and have symptoms. And that was the, that was the intention to the treat arm of this trial. So because because that's where the results get a little bit tricky on how you interpret them. They had two different results. First, the intention to treat group, which is the group that had documented COVID-19 plus those who were living in close quarters with people who had positive COVID-19 and symptoms. And then they had the group that was actually diagnosed with COVID-19 through the PCR. But they also wanted to take it a step further, not only having people who were, who were older than 40 years of age, but they also wanted to try to find high-risk patients. And this is where each one of these patients out of the 4,488 patients, they also had at least one high-risk criteria. And what are these high-risk criteria? Well, this is stuff that we all know and we see in our patients who are hospitalized. Patients who are 70 years or older, obese, diabetic, uncontrolled hypertension, Respiratory disease, heart failure, coronary artery disease—you know these these types of manifestations, amongst others. Again, you could read this in the article yourself. They had to have one of these as well. So it's not like we got—we were getting like the, excuse me, the healthy athletes who were enrolled into this trial. There were people who they generally were sick, but then again, they couldn't enroll everybody because colchicine has some adverse effects. It causes some renal disease in some patients. So for example, people who had a GFR less than 30, yeah, those people couldn't be in it. The same thing with people with chronic diarrhea, inflammatory bowel disease, because some of the adverse effects of colchicine include a lot of GI upset. And we're going to see this in the in the results. Let's get into the nitty-gritty and see what they found. And some of the cool things about this trial is that it had been going on for quite a while. They actually started in March of 2020, and they actually completed the enrollment in December. And just even this month was when they had the last trial visit. So that was pretty cool. And like I mentioned before, they had a total of 4,488 patients who underwent randomization. And this big number of patients is necessary when you start analyzing the fact that of this whole group of patients, about 5% ended up being hospitalized out of the whole conglomerate. So, and again, I don't want to get political or, uh, or anything like that in this particular podcast, but there was another drug that had some outpatient studies done earlier in the pandemic, which I'm not going to mention the name of the drugs, but in those outpatient studies, they enrolled a total of about 300 350 patients in the entire study and then based on the findings there they were able to say hey you know you know what this doesn't work but the problem with that is again about 5% of people who have covid and have these risk factors end up being end up being hospitalized you can't make a determination because the study's not adequately powered for certain endpoints if you only have 300 people in the total study which is why again these folks in Canada did a great job in enrolling 4,488 patients. But let me let me get off my soapbox now. Continuing on with the types of people, you know, they, they were enrolled usually five days after the onset of COVID symptoms. So that's kind of when they start ramping up a little bit with regards to the cytokine storm. The mean age was about 55 years old. Uh, the majority of them, well, the mean uh, BMI was 30, which means that the mean, BMI was them being obese, and um, 20% or so had diabetes. So this is when we have to kind of sit down and look at these results with an open mind of sorts. And when I say with an open mind, I mean the authors broke it into two different populations. Number one was the intention to treat population, which again was the people who were PCR-proven COVID-19, as well as those patients who were co-inhabiting with somebody who had COVID-19 and they had symptoms. Okay. So in that intention to treat population, basically the conglomerate of those two groups, the primary composite endpoint, which was a combination of death and hospitalization, this was not statistically significant. There was no, like the, the improvement was not statistically significant to show that culture scene works in this patient population. OK, and you can tell this when you look at the numbers because the p-value is greater than 0.05 because it's currently 0.08. And in addition to that, in the odds ratio, it, co- it crosses the confidence interval of one. So if you're looking at the paper, that's what you got to take a look at to see if it's statistically significant. The same thing occurs when you isolate the components of the primary endpoint, which include death and hospitalization. In both of these, they have a very wide confidence interval. And in addition to that, it crosses the number one, which means that they're not statistically significant. So if you're looking at the intention to treat population, colchicine based on statistics does not work. However, if you isolate your focus just to the patients with PCR proven COVID-19, this is when you find a statistically significant endpoint. So here on the primary composite endpoint, which is a combination of death and hospitalization, you find that there is a benefit to giving people colchicine but as i say that we need to look a little bit more into statistics first of all the p-value is statistically significant at 0.04 and in addition to that the confidence interval is narrow and it does not cross the number one so we're happy with that good job guys fantastic but in the primary composite endpoint people who ended up with death and hospitalization that was 4.6 percent of the population versus those patients in the placebo group, this was 6%. And this is where it takes a little bit of knowledge of statistics and a concept called number needed to treat. I'm not going to go over how number needed to treat is actually calculated because you'd fall asleep while driving your car right now. But when you go ahead and you plug in these numbers into the equation for the composite endpoint, the findings are going to be kind of surprising to you. So when you look at the primary composite endpoint, again, that's death and hospitalization. In order to keep one patient from either dying or ending up in the hospital. The number needed to treat is 71.4. That means that 71.4 people need to be given colchicine to try to keep one of these two things from happening. But let's look at these numbers a little bit further because it gets it gets a little bit muddy, but again, this is necessary. So let's take this information a little bit further. And they found that the people who died in the in the colchicine group, was, we're only five people out of 2,075. And in the placebo group, nine people died, which was 0.04% of the people, which at the end of the day, it makes us a little bit happy. And I hate saying that because we're talking about death, so it doesn't really make us happy. But these people all had risk factors. And the fact that just 0.4 patients of the entire 2,000 in the control group died is, is you know, it should make us somewhat happy because it's not as lethal as uh, one would say, I mean, they were saying that 1% of people die from COVID, but we're finding that this data shows that it's less, but nonetheless, I'm going to, I digress. When you plug these numbers of 0.2 and 0.4% for the colchicine and the placebo arm respectively into the number needed to treat calculator, you find that to save one life. And again, this, this wasn't, this one wasn't statistically significant by the way, because this one, this one crossed the, this one crossed the confidence interval of one. But you have to treat 500 patients with colchicine to save one life, which is crazy because that's a lot of side effects. But let's let's go a step further and look at hospitalizations. What would it take to keep one one patient out of the hospital? In order to keep one patient out of the hospital, utilizing the percentages found in the study and plugging it into a numbers needed to treat calculator, you have to treat 71.4 patients with colchicine in order to keep one person out of the hospital and you might say okay well that might be worth it but this is when you have to go in and look at the adverse effects that the people were finding when they were on colchicine and this goes on to page 20 of the study if you're following along by reading the study and yes you see that people with colchicine had less pneumonia they had more pulmonary emboli and again this was statistically significant but Um, I kind of don't know what to do with this information, but when you look at the GI adverse effects, you find that 24%, 23.9 to be exact, 24% of patients in the colchicine arm had GI manifestations, which one could imagine, and 15% or 14.8 in the placebo group had adverse effects from a GI standpoint. Again, they, they just probably had it at a baseline because COVID, you know, it causes GI upset in some individuals. But nonetheless, there was more diarrhea in the colchicine group as one could expect. So it's it's kind of hard for me to make a recommendation. And honestly, I can't because first of all, I'm not an outpatient doctor. And in addition to that, this study hasn't been peer reviewed just yet. I'm kind of peer reviewing it myself right now. But overall, it's just, uh, it's just interesting how how many people you need to actually enroll into a study to make it be statistically significant. So when I read this conclusion that, again, reads, among non-hospitalized patients with COVID-19, cortisone reduces composite rate of death or hospitalization. It's, it's, it might be a little bit misleading just because of the number of people you need to treat with cortisone in order to save one hospitalization. And the truth is the composite rate of death I mean, if you look at death on its own, it's not not statistically significant. But overall, that's just my take on this study. Definitely read it for yourself. Don't trust me. I appreciate your support. If you're watching this on YouTube, thanks for your support And on the podcast. Uh, Leave me a good rating if you find any value out of what I do. I hope you all have a great day. Thanks a lot. Bye.